0: It's the NFL preseason. Check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you need fantasy football rankings, we've got our rankings, we've got our sleepers at fantasyfootball.theringer.com. So come listen to Danny Kelly, Greg Horlbeck, and me, Danny Heifetz, on the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting
1: of shareholders, and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12
0: nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the try Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.
1: It is Wednesday, August 17th. If you're paying attention to the media and the crazy days after the 2020 presidential election, like I was, the name Dominion Voting Systems probably brings up an image in your head. And what that image is, is probably dependent on your personal politics. Because Donald Trump and his supporters were claiming widespread voter fraud at the time. And many in the media, especially the right-wing media, and especially Fox News, were targeting Dominion, which sells electronic voting hardware and software, like voting machines, tabulators, the kind of things where you go to the ballot box and there's a machine in front of you to input your choices. Dominion became a target of Fox News, OAN, Newsmax, and the others. And several of its prominent hosts at Fox claimed the machines were faulty, that they were, quote, designed to be inaccurate, and so on. That was inaccurate. It was not true. And government investigations later confirmed that that information was not true. So Dominion sued Fox and his parent company, Fox Corp., for defamation. If this all sounds familiar, it's because there's been an increase in defamation cases lately. I was a litigator early in my career, and I worked in the media and entertainment industry, and... It used to be rare to see one of these big, high-profile media liable defamation cases. The actual malice standard that people use for these cases for public figures is so high that you really have to have the goods if you want to bring one of these cases other than just for nuisance purposes. But these days, it seems like there's a defamation case every other week. We had Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard, Donald Trump was suing Hillary Clinton, The conspiracy theory guy, Alex Jones, was found liable recently for spreading lies about the Sandy Hook child massacre. Fox is pretty afraid of this case. I've talked to people there who say, yeah, the the facts aren't great. But they do believe that they are ultimately going to win because they were just reporting on what Donald Trump was saying at the time, and he was spreading these falsehoods. It wasn't Fox. It was Donald Trump. Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch, who control Fox News, They're going to be deposed in this case, and a bunch of others are going to have their testimony taken. If this ever goes to trial, and we'll get into whether it will, it's going to be a huge deal. The trial date is in April currently. So we're going to have Eric Gardner on today to talk about that. He's a writer at Puck and covers all things legal. He writes a newsletter called The Rainmaker, which is excellent. You should be uh, reading it. We're going to get into everything about the Fox News, Dominion case, the standards for libel, whether they will change and what it means ultimately and how this case might play out. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Eric Gardner, my colleague at Puck. He is an expert on all things legal and has been covering the Fox versus Dominion, Dominion versus Fox lawsuit for a while now. You wrote a great piece a couple weeks ago. And what's fascinated me by this case is two things. First of all, it seems like a fantastic case for Dominion because most libel cases, as you know, are based on one false thing or a couple false things that someone says are arguably false. And then they litigate over the damages that those fleeting or small references carried for the person. This is very different. This is a weeks-long effort by fox to characterize the dominion voting machines as somehow sinister and i think they would argue that they were just repeating what the president was saying which makes it arguably or in their words definitively newsworthy but this was not a fleeting reference this was not one or two statements this was maria bartiromo janine perro lou dobbs very prominent fox personalities Saying over and over that the Dominion voting machines were designed to be inaccurate, is one quote. Um, Lou Dobbs said he had tremendous evidence of voting fraud from those machines over and over. Eric, how much do you think that
0: matters? That this was a campaign almost to characterize Dominion in a certain way? I definitely think it matters. I think it also matters that, you know, as this was all, was all going down, the company themselves. We're sending letters to Fox News saying, hey, you gotta cut cut this out. Uh Fox News was put on notice. They were they were told, you know, these were lies, and yet they continued to carry them. Uh they continued to have really Giuliani or Sidney Powell on the air to talk about this sort of stuff um, and to say outrageous stuff, like this was a company that, you know, emanated from Venezuela, you know, to tip elections for Hugo Chavez. And they were getting these contracts in in, in the country and they were controversial and, and all that. And and so this, you know, company, which depends on these contracts with local election officials, you know, we're, we're watching all this in, in a bit of horror saying, you know, hey, this is ruining our company. You got to cut this out and fox News' response to that was not to cut it out but to try to get a little bit more even handed they you know invited experts on fact checkers i don't know if that's going to be enough for them um but definitely the fact that this was carried out for for a long time uh is going to be a significant part of of the trial if it gets there i think that you know you might be able to excuse you know a, a one off thing from you know the president's leader you never know what you know is going to come out the mouth of, of Donald Trump at, at some press conference. But, you know, to, to have this go on and on and on uh, is, is definitely going to be a big part of the case. And to be fair, I'm going to
1: quote the Fox News lawyer, Dan Webb, who is a prominent trial lawyer who's handled a number of free speech cases, including that ABC Pink Slime case a few years ago that you covered. This is what he said to The New York Times last week. When the president and his lawyers are making allegations, that in and itself is newsworthy. To say that shouldn't be reported on, I don't think a jury would buy that. And that's what I think the plaintiffs are saying here. You know, that is a an interesting comment because it gets to this question of whether you can repeat false claims. And as you know, you cover this stuff. If you repeat false claims that somebody else is
0: saying, you're not really protected, right? Absolutely not. I mean, it sounds to me like that that's what they wish the libel standard <laughs> what was. And, you know, courts have certainly flirted with that being the libel standard of the years, but that's not the libel standard as the judge made clear in allowing this case to continue. You know, if I write a story and I quote someone just because it's in quotation marks does not make, make me free and clear of any potential claims. If I have knowledge that what's being said is is inaccurate, is is lies, and I decide that, I'm going to print it anyway, you know, that can rise to, you know, libelness. Now, if Fox News loses this case, as I understand it, they're going to make appeals. They'll try to, you know, push the libel standards. The problem is that if anything, the judges think that, you know, it's it's too hard for, for libel plaintiffs these days to win cases, not too easy. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that they're in a particularly good position when it comes to that. That being said, I, I do believe it's, it's some sort of narrative they're going to craft to the jury. Uh, that, you know, all Fox News was doing was re- repeating uh, what the president and his minions were saying. Uh, and how could that possibly get you in trouble as a news organization? You know, Fox News's his approach would be, you know, we had to cover this because this was the biggest story in the land. Fact checking comes later. But to ignore what the president was accusing, uh, you know, would be you know, a disservice to, to our viewers. And just to be clear, the standard for libel, and the judge has already determined that
1: these are public figures we're talking about, so the actual malice standard that is applicable here is you have to show that Fox knew or should have known that the information was false, and they went ahead anyway and published it anyways. It was false, and that there were damages here. And what I think is interesting is the background that was going on here, because we all know the media landscape that Fox was operating in after the election. The Fox News audience was very upset that Fox had called Arizona for Joe Biden very early in the process. That was controversial because as we now know, the strategy that Donald Trump's team had was to declare victory and to say, yes, we we are winning. And yes, the votes will be counted eventually, but we are the winners here and you have to take it away from us. But when Fox called Arizona for Joe Biden, it turned the tables and it said, "Okay, Joe Biden is the winner of the election. And the Trump team had to kind of come from the place of defense. The Fox News audience didn't like that. And we saw evidence in the weeks after of the Fox audience moving over to outlets like OAN and Newsmax that were more openly flaunting what happened and claiming there was election fraud or that the ballots weren't all real or counted or whatever you know the various claims were. So Fox was under pressure business-wise to keep its audience at this time. And I think that's pretty good you know, circumstantial evidence here to show that Fox had every incentive to push
0: these election lies. Do you think that will be legally significant? I think it's going to be less legally significant than, than people think. I definitely think it's a it's a subject of discovery right now. But whatever the motivation is, you know, whether or not they want, wanted to hold on to viewers who are defecting to even more right wing networks, or whether it was just some of their more you know Trumpy hosts like Janine Pirro and Lou Dobb's, you know, were just themselves upset over the election and were you know kind of susceptible to these conspiracy theories. I don't think it really matters because in in, in the end of the day, they should have known uh, what was true. They were put on notice about this and they should have treated this all with more care. And so, I, you know, from a, from a technical legal standpoint, I'm not exactly sure that, you know, having business motivations above all else is going to change the situation for them. And, and uh, I, I just think it's going to potentially be an embarrassing note and maybe that that is is the more important thing that if dominion gets evidence that you know the murdochs were say were involved in these months and directing the editorial towards this conspiracy to hold on to viewers that's you know something that's kind of would be a black eye and and would be highly embarrassing so i think it could play a note that way but i don't think it's going to change the outcome of the case Yeah, and
1: that's clearly why they're going after these top executives. The theory seems to be that there was direction from above. And we know from past instances at Fox News that the Murdochs, specifically Rupert, do get involved in those kinds of decisions. They decide on particular narratives and they communicate those views to the producers and the hosts directly. So if there is evidence that Rupert or Lachlan was saying, listen, you know, go harder on this, or, you know, have you looked at this? Why aren't we doing more in Dominion? That would be a proverbial smoking gun in this case, I think.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the other thing that is that there are many different uh, defendants here. So evidence that might sink Fox Fox News might not be the same as evidence that sinks Fox Corporation, the parent company. Um, So, you know, to the extent that you can kind of get the higher ups uh, on record as, as being, you know, kind of part of. Of this whole defamation campaign, uh, that that's good because uh, there might be you know multiple uh, defendants who who you know see a damages bill here.
1: Yeah, speaking of damages, I mean that's the key element of any defamation case: is what did this actually do to hurt you? And that's another area where I think there is a pretty compelling argument to be made. I mean, in a lot of defamation cases, it's kind of hard to say, okay, well, did this actually hurt you? I mean, we saw this in the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. It's like, okay, yeah, you guys may have said some false things about each other, but in the context of two train wreck type people, what did this actually hurt you? Did it cause you to lose jobs? And they litigated that. And ultimately the jury did what it did. did. But in this case, I mean, Dominion was pretty significantly harmed here, right?
0: Yes and no. I mean, certainly these lies have you know, damage the reputation of their company. On the other hand, I do see that a lot of their economic losses that they're counting on are based on future expectations. Like, you know, they're going to win a, a multimillion dollar contract here. They're going to compete for a multimillion dollar contract there. And now they're out of the running for this because local campaign officials don't want anything to do with them.
1: Well, didn't that happen? I mean, when you started to see these Republican state legislatures say, well, why are we using these machines?
0: Yeah, but there's always going to be arguments about, you know, if... That counts, and whether or not they can really prove losses that way. I think that the, the more damaging p- portion of this whole thing is that the Dominion and Smartmatic—they're also claiming punitive damages, um, and those are damages that are, aren't necessarily based on economic loss, but they're based on you know, uh, you know, what's it going to cost to deter Fox News from ever doing this again? And um, in Delaware, where this where the Dominion case is being brought, and in uh, New York, where the Smart case is going to be brought damages are uncapped so right. it could be it could no be, limit anything unlike unlike in texas where we just saw info where info wars get smacked with a with a, a, a verdict their punitive damages is is i think about two and a half times whatever the economic damages is so you know the the jury in the info wars ca- case right. came that's back. that's the alex jones the- case yeah, fifty million dollar verdict, and that like went down to about ten million. Uh, here, you know, it could be it could be billions of dollars, and and that's why one of the reasons I think Fox News has has to sweat this. Yeah, and you know, on the libel front in general,
1: this is now a hot area of law. that was sort of settled for many years. You didn't see that many high profile defamation or libel cases. Now I feel like there is churn out there. People, especially on the right, they want to revisit these standards. I mean, Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court justice, has been pretty open about the fact that he wants this to be changed, that it's too lenient for media companies to use this actual malice standard to escape liability. And this is exactly the kind of case, politically charged, big, high-profile defendant in Fox, that if it does go up to an appeals court, and the Supreme Court, do you think we could get a revisiting of the libel standards and that could trickle down to mean new standards for the media?
0: Well, if this case went up to the Supreme Court, it'd be very ironic because Fox News would be the one that would be arguing to, to, t- to make it tougher for, for libel. Projects. Right. Maybe right. They'd they'd be the one saying, like, let us off the hook here for, for you know, a billion dollar verdict. Right. When
1: many of its hosts have echoed the Trump stuff and said, why are these media companies getting
0: away with slandering Donald Trump? Right. To it, to an extent, you know, where I've heard in, you know, in some quarters of Fox News, them theorizing that the rest of the media should actually be rooting for Fox News in, in this case and on appeal, because this is like the one thing that's going to, you know, get, uh, you know, the Supreme Court justice. Totally. I mean,
1: in the old days of the ACLU, I could see the ACLU getting involved. In this case, on behalf of Fox, because they were sort of principled that they wanted the First Amendment to trump everything. I I seriously doubt that would happen today. But um, yeah, if you're in the media and you know you you gotta root for other media companies to not be held liable for things they publish. Although this is a pretty outrageous example of false things that were spewed night after night for weeks.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that the media really wants to highlight this case as the uh, <laughs> as the one that, that saves them. Uh, I, you know, eventually, I definitely think that the high court is going to tackle some of these libel issues. I don't know if they're going to revisit actual malice, but there are uh, certainly other uh, ways that the uh, Supreme Court could kind of mess with the minds of of the media, whether it's you know making these cases a little easier to to advance on the front end. Or or anything or damages or anything along those lines. So it's it's definitely a ripe topic, and yeah, I've been seeing more and more of these cases. You know, pretty much not a week goes by where you're not seeing a major defamation case being brought. And I think part of the reason is is you know Donald Trump himself kind of campaigned on, on uh, you know let's let's open up libel laws to to target media companies and that brought a lot of awareness of, of of these kinds of suits um the other thing you know we saw was you know the whole me too movement you know a lot of people's reputations were kind of destroyed like in the course of you know one, you know a day one allegation one news story and they um, they saw libel laws as as basically the only thing that they could fight back on so there are, there are a bunch of different reasons why more and more of these cases are coming yeah,
1: I think the uh, the social media era has really redefined what the concept of media even is. I mean, if you look at the standards for libel, it goes all the way back to New York Times versus Sullivan in the 1960s. And if you look at the media environment then, it, we're talking about newspapers, you know, print, and there was television, there was radio, but... There was not the power that the social media companies have today, and the fact that one comment can go viral and these things live on forever. You know, whereas in the old days it was a day's newspaper and then it was gone. So I do think that it does make sense to revisit the notion of what media means. Um, but I certainly being a, a person in the media, I would not want to lessen the standard. I think this country is better off having more lenient press standards than a place like the UK, for instance, where it's much easier to sue over something that uh, that is said in the, in the press. Um, but that's the benefit of having the First Amendment here. So hopefully that gets applied. Do you think that ultimately that this is something that catches fire and on the right, and that they do try to institute new laws or revisiting these standards from a statutory perspective, rather than waiting for the courts to do it.
0: Well, I mean, the problem is that the Supreme Court has, you know, ruled that you know the Constitution uh, says certain things about libel laws. You know, yes, libel laws are mostly a creature of state law. So so you know, you can shape a few different things. But when the Supreme Court in the 60s and Times v. Sullivan says, you know, the actual malice standard is is an implied part of the First Amendment, there's nothing that that states can can do exactly about that. They can't make it a little tougher than 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 the actual malice standard. They have to basically, you know, argue in court that that the actual malice standard was wrongly decided, like uh, like Roe v. Wade, and right. they, they were successful there. And maybe maybe <laughs> maybe you know maybe the media companies should start worrying about that, especially with a couple Supreme Court justices already on record um, saying that. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a hot area. So
1: give me your ballpark here. What's going to actually be the outcome here?
0: So I actually think that this case is going to be settled. Even though they're not talking settlement right now, they have said that they're not. That's correct. This is not the time for, for settlement negotiations. I think that that much closer to trial will be the time uh, when, you know, all the evidence is collected. It becomes pretty clear what both sides have. You know, what 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 it's clear what the judge will allow to be presented at trial. Then, you know, the both sides can kind of like figure out what sort of risk this this case represents. I think that, you know, because the judge has allowed uh, a defamation suit against the parent company fox corporation that means that there's hundreds of millions of dollars available in insurance money and i think that fox news will take the exit road if they can uh to get out of trial uh, to avoid any potential punitive damages to avoid any any embarrassing information being aired at trial uh and to avoid you know other future ramifications, maybe other lawsuits that come against, you know, whatever their other hosts are saying and any securities lawsuits because, you know, they they've told shareholders that this that the outcome of this case won't you know materially affect their bottom line. So so if they lose this case, there could be you know more lawsuits to come. Um, I just think that that it's hard for me to imagine that they're going to let this case go forward and they're going to settle it like they settled the Seth Rich stuff. Yeah,
1: a billion-dollar verdict is pretty scary.
0: Yeah, my my, my ballpark guess is, is $300 million.
1: They'll pay $300 million to Dominion to go away.
0: Yes, and they won't have to admit any wrongdoing.
1: Right, and we will never know the actual dollar amount.
0: Well, we'll see about that. I'll,
1: Actually, I'll, Fox is a small enough company that if they pay that kind of a settlement, they may have to disclose it. I remember when Disney settled the Who Wants to be a Millionaire lawsuit against the producer of Who Wants to be a Millionaire, Uh, They paid $300 million and they had to disclose it in their quarterly earnings. So Fox would probably have to do the same. It's material enough.
0: Yeah, Disney uh, disclosed the Pink Slime. Settlement over ABC News's report of, uh, you know, beef manufacturers, uh, you know, products. So it's possible that that we learn about this in in securities filings, but I'm not sure about that. But I do think that uh, there's a very high likelihood that, as much fun as it would be to watch a trial like this, uh, we won't get to see one.
1: All right, Eric Gardner, thanks very much. You can read more about this topic and others in the legal world at Puck, and thanks for coming on. Thanks. All right. We are back with the call sheet. My daily prediction. Craig, are you excited for the Lord of the Rings TV show?
2: I'm not, but not for any malicious reasons. I just never watched Lord of the Rings growing up. I saw the first one a long time ago, so I don't think there's any purpose for me to actually see the show.
1: You don't, you never read the book?
2: <laughs> no. And I feel like if you haven't seen anything, you can't watch this show, right? You'll have no idea what's going on. Oh, yeah,
1: you can. Yeah, you can. All right. So that I went to the premiere the other night, uh, Amazon, through a premiere in Culver City for its new Lord of the Rings show, which it famously spent $250 million just to buy the rights to do a TV show from the Tolkien estate. And they apparently spent another $250 million to do the first season, which is only eight episodes. Um, they can obviously they can amortize that if they do future seasons. They can use the sets and costumes and everything, so it won't be that expensive forever. But that's a huge chunk of money, half a billion dollars, by one of the world's biggest companies to produce a Lord of the Rings show that I think a lot of people might question whether we need that. There were, after all, three very good movies that Peter Jackson did. He then followed it up with three Hobbit movies that were less good, but were are still out there. So that's, you know, those were very long as well. There's probably in total 15, 16 hours of Tolkien movies that are already in existence. And now we've got another series that's coming along, but I saw it. I'm not really allowed to say what I really thought of it because there's an embargo, but I will say that this, my prediction is that this is actually going to be huge. They're going to debut it in 280 countries. Um, It is very accessible there is a real story here. It is different from the movies. It's got a female perspective to it all. The lead character is, is female. Um, and I, my prediction is that this is going to be the biggest show in the history of Amazon Prime.
2: Oh, yeah, but what? that's not really saying much. What is it competing against?
1: It is, though. I mean, listen, the the buzz in the community, in the entertainment community, is that this was going to be a disaster. I mean, these are first-time showrunners they hired to do this show. Like, they gave these these guys endless money and had no experience really running a show there is no star in this all of the actors i mean some you may have recognized from other things one guy was on game of thrones a couple others but there was nothing this is amazon which yeah they've had some hits but they their track record it's not like this is hbo doing this this is amazon doing this and i think a lot of people in hollywood were kind of scared that this was going to be a complete disaster plus they spent so much on it there's a Schadenfreude out there that I think people are kind of rooting for it to not be good because they've spent so much money.
2: Yeah, but just ba- based on the baked-in fandom of the Lord of the Rings franchise, I there's no way this could be a flop. People will at least tune into episode 1 and 2 to check it out.
1: I think that's right. Uh, but I think based on what I saw, they're going to watch all 8 episodes or a lot of people are. And I think that the um you know, this famously originated because Jeff Bezos said, you know, where's my Game of Thrones? And they're like, okay, well, we could do Lord of the Rings. And he happens to be a big Lord of the Rings fan. You know, Bezos was there on Tuesday night or Monday night. He was at the premiere. Um, Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon, you know, all the big executives were there. They care very much about this. And they're doing a huge promotional push, the cover of Time magazine. And they they are going to turn this into an event. If you look at Amazon trucks and packages, it's got Lord of the Rings on it. So they are going to put the full muscle of Amazon behind it. Uh, but, you know, they, they've had they've had hits. Like, The Boys is a big hit. Miss um, Maisel. You know, they had ju- <laughs> Miss Maisel's a big hit among, you know, Jewish grandmothers. But it's not <laughs> I a— know, I
2: know people who like Maisel.
1: Okay, right. But it's not a global phenomenon. It's a
2: critical least. hit.
1: Sure, yes. It's a critical hit. But so is Fleabag. And I think if, if I asked my mom whether she knows what Fleabag is, she would say no. This is, and I don't, but I don't think my mom is going to watch Lord of the Rings either, but I think a lot of people around the world are going to watch this and it's pretty good. So I think that this is going to have a huge audience.
2: Is the story based on any previous lore or is it completely new and made up?
1: It's based on, there's an interesting credit in the opening. It says based on the Lord of the Rings and its appendices by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm. So they're taking from all aspects. I mean, I don't want to, I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. But like, there are many different texts that you can draw from, not just the novel that you might've read when you were in high school. Uh, there are other things that uh, that are part of it. This is not a retelling of the Peter Jackson movie. Got it. It is a new story that I have not seen on screen. And there are things in it that I didn't get. Like there aren't hobbits. There's like a precursor race to the hobbits who like still have the bushy hair and the hairy feet. And the whole thing, but they're not technically hobbits, I was told. Um, And, you know, I'm about I'm going to get a ton of tweets because I'm sure I'm not accurately describing this race of beings. But like there are orcs and there are elves and there are men and there are all the other things that you knew from Lord of the Rings, but presented in a slightly different way.
2: This is a I think this is a lukewarm take out of you that it's going to be a hit. A, a real take would be this is going to You think it's too safe. You think it's too yeah. safe.
1: Is, of course. The take would have been that it's going to flop, right?
2: Or the take would have been that it's going to destroy House of the Dragon.
1: Oh, I don't think so. I think I think both are going to do well. Now, I think it's insane that these two companies are releasing these things at the same time because they're probably going to cannibalize a small part of each other's audiences. They are they largely overlap, and there may be people who will choose to watch one and not the other. But since they are they decided to go up against each other, I think both will do pretty well. All right, that is the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. I want to thank Eric Gardner from Puck. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck, and I want to thank you.